Lord, thank you for bringing us all here into this chapel that has so much history and where so much happens, so many significant things in people's lives happen in this place. And so we thank you that you're here in our midst. And we look forward to what you have for us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I'm Donna Tanis. I'm coming to you from La Mirada, Biola land, basically. That's why I live there. My husband and I teach at Biola. My husband is also a pastor at our church in La Mirada. And I have a picture of my little family, so you can kind of put me in context, because, you know, everything should be in context. So here we are. That's Eric, 34 years married. And then our four kids, Caroline's 23, Paige is 20, Sam is 17, and the three of them are from Taiwan. And then Isaac is also just turned 17 this week. He's from China. And in 2015, we all, the five of us, got to go to China and pick him up, which was amazing, amazing, amazing. So, yes, we've had several trips to Asia, and we added four kids to our family in a seven-year span in our mid and late 40s. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> that, that is how God wrote our story. It is not how we thought our story would be written. But all of you know, because you've lived long enough, that the story God writes for us is not exactly how we would have written it. And it's glorious. It's glorious. Anyway, we're going to jump in. 1982, I graduated from high school, and this is my lovely, very dated yearbook. Best year ever. Yes, best year ever. Were you born in 1982? <laughs> anyway, it was a long time ago. This is my high school yearbook. My high school crush, here he is, this football player catching a ball right here. I know, cute. Um, in the back of the yearbook, you had to put a quote in the back of the yearbook. Mine was, if your soul, if your heart cries no tears, your soul will have no rainbow, something, something that I thought was profound that now I laugh at. You can, you're supposed to laugh at that. Because <laughs> our, our, our souls don't really have rainbows. But anyway, that was about as deep as I got in high school. But this guy, he wrote in the back, forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead. And I went up to him and said, what is that? What does that mean? I have no idea. And he said, it's from the Bible. And I thought, you were the first person I've ever met who reads the Bible. And that's true. As far as I know, this hunky guy was the only Christian in my school, and the first kid, I, first person I ever met, I think, that read the Bible. I'm sure I met others. I just didn't know. But he was bold enough to put it in the, in the yearbook. And then he was bold enough to tell me about Jesus. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm already crying, you guys. This is, this is me. This is who I am. My high school crush became the one who led me to the Lord, who still is leading me to the Lord. 40 years later. Okay, May 1st. There he is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we were 19 in this picture. Yes, he has a piece of plastic tied around his head. In a boy's dorm at a huge state university in Connecticut where we went. 
And right there is where I trusted Jesus. And May 1st will be 40 years. You guys, it's miraculous when God saves us. But you know what is just as miraculous is that he sustains us. Okay, when I came to Christ, my dad, an atheist, said, oh, that's nice, but as soon as he breaks up with you, you're going to be on to something else. Well, isn't my dad surprised? So here we are 40 years later, and we have a good marriage, <laughs> and we are following the Lord. And I get to teach on this passage. Do you see how God transforms lives? Like, I never knew that. I didn't know what those words meant. I didn't know that anyone read the Bible, and here I'm going to teach on Philippians, <laughs> not Philippians, Philippians 3, verses 8 through 14, because you know what? I am overwhelmed still by the way that God has transformed my life, and you know who else was overwhelmed? Paul, all the time, always overwhelmed. You read Paul's letters, he's got these long run-on sentences that just spill out his wonder at how amazing Jesus is. I want to be like him. I, I, for the day I die, I do not want to get over the fact that God chose me and plucked me out of the situation I was in, which was not God-honoring. Paul was unbelievably transformed. He went from, if you've read his sweet letters, and I hope you do often, he went from a privileged, educated, proud, persecuting, blaspheming man to one who can write this. I'm in Philippians 3, starting in verse 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or trash, or dung, depending on your translation. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, and he knew the law, and he lived according to the law. Not that. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Sometimes we might, might want to cross that little part out, but I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, the means that the Lord determines, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. There's so many descriptions of us in the Bible. I, I especially love this one. His own. We are his own. But one thing I do, and here's my boyfriend's verse, <laughs> forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here's our outline for you firstborns. Treasure the prize. Admit that you don't own it yet and press on toward the goal. So treasuring the prize. Paul has this singular focus in life since Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And that is to win the prize of intimacy with Jesus. He just wants to know him 
intimately, that I may know him, he says. He prizes it above everything else. All that he wants in his life is to know Jesus intimately, to gain Christ, to be found in Christ, to walk in Christ, to identify with Christ. It's all about Jesus. That's the prize. That's his joy. That's his reason that he gets up in the morning. And he lives and he will die for that prize. We're already moving on to number two in our outline. Look at us. Give yourself a little pat on the shoulder. We're moving right along. Good job. Admit that you don't own it yet. We have to admit that we don't own it yet. Paul's humility here is so refreshing because in his culture, you don't show humility. That's not a way to gain honor. But he tells us that he hasn't arrived. And he says it twice because he really wants us to get it. Not that I've obtained it, he says. And then again, he says, I don't consider that I've made it my own yet. I'm not there yet. It's like he's telling us, I'm still in process. I'm still being sanctified. Really, if you missed it the first time, really. Catch it the second time, he's telling us. He hasn't fully grasped it. He hasn't fully seized it's not there yet that he doesn't have the intimacy with Jesus and he doesn't know Jesus as well as he knows he could and should. And in this little phrase where he's telling us, I don't consider that I've made it my own yet, he's denying perfectionism and he's denying works righteousness. And that is good news for us <laughs> because sometimes we can fall into that ourselves. So he's saying no to the things that would lead to honor in his subculture, and he's saying yes to humility. Because he has something so much greater than worldly honor on his mind, and that is treasuring the prize of knowing Jesus. He's concerned with the prize. The one whose, whose humility he just laid out for us in chapter 2 of Philippians. This is what he says about Jesus. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. He wants to grasp and apprehend Jesus. And just as Jesus had already grasped and apprehended him, it's this ongoing lifelong pursuit that Paul was on, an arduous one, to learn how to hold on to the one who is holding on to you. There's a song that words it that way. I love it. Hold on to the one who's holding on to you already. It reminds me of my son Sam, who's 17, and when he was six years old, he came into our family. We were his fourth home, and we had been told by a social worker that he hated affection, he was unruly, and he would never have healthy relationships with other human beings. I met that kid, and the first second I met him, and he looked in our eyes and offered us a bite of his pie, I said, they're wrong, because six-year-olds don't offer pie to strangers if they can't form relationships. That kid didn't hate affection. That kid had never been shown affection, and when we brought him home, and literally, you guys, those of you who know adoptions, this was a weekend adoption. 
It happened that fast. Can you take this kid? He's a lot of trouble. Yes, okay, make a boy's bedroom. Okay, he's in your house. house. It was over a weekend. But that kid who we were told didn't touch and didn't like to be touched, I called him my koala because, you guys, he wrapped himself around me like I was a tree for weeks. A stocky little six-year-old who was not very light. And I... I <laughs> but look how strong it's made me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I called him my koala because he wrapped around me and I carried him around. He was holding on to the one who was holding on to him. And if he let go of my neck, I would not have dropped him. I had him. Jesus had Paul. Jesus has you. But we still get to hold on to the one who is holding on to us. You can be that little koala holding on to Jesus. <sighs> well, Jesus had ownership over Paul. And this is what it entails when Jesus has ownership over us. Jesus chose Paul. He adopted him. He paid for him. He identified with him. He shared his victory with him. He called him friend. He covers him. He relates to him as brother. He protects him. He sustains him. He saves him. And he shed his blood for him and made him his son. Well, what will it look like when Paul owns it for himself? He says, I haven't obtained it yet. Well, when Paul does obtain it, what will that look like? It tells us, verses 3, 10 through 11, that I may know him. That's what it's going to look like, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So many times when I read Paul's words, I relate to him, and this is definitely a passage where that is true. I want to say with Paul, I am so with you. I am not there yet. I haven't attained it yet. I've been seeking. I've been walking with him for 40 years, but I, I'm not there yet. That's for sure. I relate to Paul. And because Paul's one of my heroes, that makes me want to do a little happy dance because I, <laughs> I can relate to one of my heroes. <laughs> I haven't fully apprehended Christ fully yet. And yet, God uses Paul to turn the world upside down. From the time he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and Ananias comes and lays his hands on him and he regains his sight and he's sent out for ministry, since then, he's turning the world upside down, telling people about Jesus, evangelism, discipleship, his whole life, evangelism and discipleship, evangelism, discipleship. That's what he was all about and God used him to turn the world upside down. Most of us have a all of us have a relationship with Jesus now because Paul was faithful to go and he told somebody who told somebody who told somebody to, to you and you. Thank you, Paul. I can't wait to meet Paul in heaven. Really, I really can't wait. <laughs> okay, number three, we gotta press on to the goal. If we want more of Jesus, like Paul wants more of Jesus, we've got to press on to the goal. And verse 14 tells us how. I press on. It doesn't tell us how. It tells us that we need to press on, to the, press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And you all know, because I can see that you're not two years old, right? You've lived long enough to know that pressing on to any goal is hard work. I have two 17-year-old sons who are trying to press on to a goal right now of getting through high school. They're not seniors. 
but they sure act like they have senioritis, if you know what I mean. And every day it's like, come on, you guys, school's a blessing. There are kids in, in the world who don't get to go to school. And, you know, I'm doing the whole, I'm a teacher. I, I try to get them pumped up for learning, but it's hard. Pressing on toward goals is hard. And pressing on even toward this precious goal of treasuring Jesus is hard because the prize is so great. It's worth it. You don't strain for a prize that's not worth it. Who strains for something I don't know, I can't even think of anything right now. But you don't strain for things that don't mean a lot to you. But the prize is so great. Paul says that I may know him. That's it. Knowing Christ. Having intimacy with him. Life in him. Walking in him. That's the prize. A relationship so close that you know him and the power of his resurrection and you share in his sufferings and you become like him and his death. It's worth everything to Paul. It makes every other accomplishment, every other relationship pale in comparison. As I was preparing this talk, I heard a song by Jamie Kimmett called Prize Worth Fighting For. And I love this song. If you want to pay attention after this talk is over, it'll be playing. It's a good song prize worth fighting for. And it has these lines in it. Your love is my reward, the prize worth fighting for. Every day is just another struggle. Every choice is an act of war. You gotta pray, you gotta press on to the prize worth fighting for. Because it's a battle. And I'm not there yet, Paul says, but one thing I do. One thing I do. So I get to this point in this passage and I think, oh, if I were going to say one thing I do, what would I say? Well, if I'm honest about myself, I might say, well, if it's really hard, I might quit. Or I might compare myself to other people and say, well, doing better than her. Or I might make excuses or I might complain that it's super hard. Or I might distract myself by many, many things, which... I can distract myself with. But Paul says, one thing I do. One thing gets his energy. One thing is his life's work. And here it is, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Well, we might assume that when Paul says forgetting what lies behind, that what he's forgetting is all the hard things in his life. The sin that he chose, that he feels guilty about, that sometimes comes back and lies to us and say, that's really who you are. Not this fake Christian lady that you're pretending to be. That sin that you chose, that's really who you are. Or the awful things that happen to us that we think define us. We can think that Paul is talking about that. Forget all the hard things so that you can strain for, guess what? It's true that we need to put those behind us, but that is not what Paul's talking about here. Paul is actually talking about forgetting the accomplishments, the things that identified him that gave him confidence in the flesh, including all the achievements that he might have boasted in, that he listed earlier in this chapter in verses four through six, where he says he was circumcised on the eighth day 
And he was from the people of Israel and of the tribe of Benjamin. And he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. And as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He was at the top of the pecking order. That's probably not appropriate to say that about Jewish people. He's at the top. He did it all right. All the accomplishments, all the things that he could do and all the things that he could inherit to make him the ideal Jew, he had it. It was all there in place. And add to that all the good things that he had done since becoming one of Jesus' followers, since his conversion, all the ministry that he had done. So all the good things in his past as a good Jew and all the good things in his past as a good Christian, all those things gave him honor in the sight of other religious people and gave him confidence in his righteous standing before God. And what does he call them? What does he call all those things? Rubbish. That was profound for me to learn that. It's easy for me to look back at the times that I have sinned and call that rubbish. But the things that I prop myself up on, the things that I've done well, the things that get you some notoriety, the things that other people praise in you, the things that people come up to you in the church and say, oh, thank you. Thank you for doing that. That was so helpful. And oh, and by the way, we need to do that to one another. <laughs> As Christian women, we desperately need other Christian women to encourage us, us. And we need to be a woman who goes around looking for people who need encouragement. We we need each other so badly. <laughs> but can we be women? Who can say, you're welcome for the thing you're being thanked for without propping yourself up on that as if, I don't really need the Lord because I have confidence in these things that I've just done or these things that I am. Paul calls them all trash. His pharisaical obedience, his law-keeping, his earned righteousness, his impressive family, his quality education, he intentionally forgets it. His blamelessness, intentionally forgets it. His extreme zeal, he intentionally forgets it. And he keeps forgetting it. It's a battle. He keeps forgetting it every day so he can know Christ. This message is for me and you. If you want to prize intimacy with Jesus, you've got to forget all the things that used to define you. Your credentials, your family line, your education, the things that you've done right that set you apart from your peers, that got you the attention of people, that got you praise, they're rubbish compared to the prize. So forget them and keep forgetting them. Don't prop yourself up on them. They distract us from the prize, and worse, they deceive us into thinking that our righteousness can be earned. All right, turn to your neighbor. Think of something. It doesn't have to be your biggest thing. 
your secret thing or whatever, but turn to your neighbor and say, my whatever, my great education, my reputation as an awesome mom, my bank account, my amazing hair, I don't care. Turn to your neighbor and say, my fill in the blank is rubbish compared to intimacy with Jesus. Do that. All right. I didn't say a whole list. One thing. We don't have time for a whole list. Okay. Paul says, Paul says it's rubbish compared to intimacy with Jesus. And Paul knows more than we do. In fact, it's going to hinder us from pressing on to the goal. You've, we've got to let those things go if we want to strain forward to what lies ahead. So are we willing to step off those things that are propping us up before God and man? Are you willing to count your gains as losses for Jesus? Because here's the thing. If we don't step off those things, if we don't forget what lies behind, we can't strain forward. Do you ever try to run fast while you're holding stuff? You can't, right? You can't run fast when you're holding stuff. I mean, I can't run fast even when I'm not holding stuff. But, and really, even when I was 16, I couldn't run fast. But anyway, um, no, don't feel sorry for me. It's okay. You can't strain forward when you're holding on to stuff. We might be able to saunter, but we can't strain. We can't go all out. We can't give everything we've got to our pursuit of knowing the one who has saved us and called us daughter. We gotta do whatever it takes to know him because intimacy with him is our prize. And if it's not our prize, guess what? We can ask the Lord and he will love to give us that. He will love to change our priorities and, and give us a heart that prizes him more. Well, what comes to mind for you, I wonder, when you think of straining, but I can tell you what comes to mind for me, and it's the Olympics. I love the Olympics. I know the Olympics have changed in recent years, but in my household growing up, we, would, we were dedicated to the Olympics. In 2018, Jesse Diggins, anybody know the story of Jesse Diggins? An American, no one's raising your hand, you guys, go and look on YouTube for Jessie Diggins. But in 2018, she was a, uh, a female American cross-country skier. I love cross-country skiing. I, my husband and I grew up in Connecticut, and uh, we cannot get enough of snow and winter sports. I just got to cross-country ski around this lake about two months ago, and it was amazing. So anyway, enough about me. Jessie Diggins. It had been 42 years since the United States had won a medal in cross-country skiing, and there had never been an American woman who won a medal. And can we put that slide up, Andre? Jessie Diggins crosses this finish line. Get this, 0.19 seconds before that Swede. They are both straining for that goal. 
And Jessie, she collapsed as soon as she passed over that finish line. Well, what did she have to do? I mean, she prized that medal, that gold medal, so highly that she had to say no to probably a million things in her lifetime to get to that point where she could be that elite athlete. You have to say no to a lot to get really good at even one thing. (laughs) She is thrusting her ski forward over that finish line with the last teeny bits of energy that she had left after that race. So for us, straining doesn't have to look that dramatic. But like an elite athlete, it does entail saying no to some things to free yourself up for greater things. To pursue things that you prize the most. And in that way, our straining is similar. We say no so that we have space to strain for the thing that we're after. I was trying to think in my own life, when is the time that I've really strained? And I don't really have a large, long list. (laughs) But I thought about when we were pursuing adopting our eight-year-old daughter. She was our first child. She was in Taiwan. She had never known a mother, and I was so motivated to walk into that orphanage and get that eight-year-old missing the two front teeth and pick her up and say, you have a mama. You guys know, if you know anybody or if you yourselves have done an international adoption, it takes forever. You have two countries that are trying to agree on something and paperwork piles that feel this big and money that's going back and forth and interviews going back. Man, did that take forever. And I was working full time, but I'll tell you what, I did not wait. I never put off paperwork one day because the prize was, I just treasured it so much. She was waiting for us in an orphanage. I strained to make that adoption happen as fast as I could. It still took a year and a half, but I strained and I said no to lots of other things so that I had room in my schedule to get after that little girl. At that point, I treasured that so much. And then we did it a few other times. (laughs) Nothing could have kept me from getting that work done. But you know what? Straining is straining forward toward the things we prize is possible anywhere. It can happen at your desk at work. It can happen at your kitchen table. It can happen in your dorm room. Remember that Paul was straining forward in prison at times. We can do it as just a church member and a wife and an employee and a neighbor and a daughter. Paul did it from prison because it requires intentionally orienting our life so that we know Christ And here's what it might look like. Read your Bible. Then read your Bible some more. (laughs) I feel like we've probably all been told since we became Christians we need to read our Bibles. But you guys, we really need to read our Bibles. (laughs) Because it's the place that God has decided to reveal himself. God has revealed himself through general revelation, which... 
Go stand at the lake, and you see how he's revealed himself to us in that amazing scene, the lake and the mountains and the beauty God tells us about himself there. But he's also revealed himself to us through special revelation, and there are only two places, and it's in Jesus and in his word. And if we want to know God, who he is, what he does, why, why he made us, what he expects from us, what we have waiting for us in the future, we have to read the Bible. Because <laughs> we can't sit down with Paul right now over a cup of tea. I mean, not Paul, Jesus. <laughs> we can't sit down with Jesus right now over a cup of tea and ask him questions. But God obviously believes that the Bible has everything we need to know because that's what he's left us with. Oh, we have to treasure it. And we need friends who treasure it. So when we spend time with our friends, they remind us. They say, oh, I was reading in Habakkuk. And you say, oh, I don't know that I've ever read Habakkuk. I guess I should go read Habakkuk. And it helps us become more faithful in that. We need friends like that. And you know what? If you don't have any, I bet there's one here. And you could meet her and you could Zoom and talk about your Bible reading together. My friend Amanda came with me this weekend, and I'm so thankful to her because when the pandemic hit, both Amanda and I were feeling pretty overwhelmed, but like, what is true about this COVID stuff? What is true about vaccines? What is true about what's going on in our country? And so we were reading news all the time, news, 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 talking about it. And Amanda said, spending a little bit too much time on news. She said, I'm going to read the Bible in 90 days. And I said, girl, I am, I am with you. And oh my goodness, it was hard. But you know, we were locked down. So, but I'm thinking to myself, I read the Bible through in a year. In case you don't know, Amanda, where is she? She's in case you don't know, 90 days is three months. It's a third of a year. But I have to go three times faster than how I usually read it. But we did it. And the Lord used that. Boy, does it help you get an overview of the Bible when you read it that quickly. I just bring it up to say, we need friends like that. Find yourself some girls who will do that for you, with you. We gotta read the Bible and read the Bible some more. We gotta read good books, we gotta watch things, we gotta talk about things that move us, us, us closer to intimacy with Jesus. Find good books. If you have trouble finding good books, find good websites that lead you to good books. I just read a great one this week. You ready for this title? Jesus Through the Eyes of Women. Rebecca McLaughlin, if you don't know her, Everything she writes that I've read so far is really good. But Jesus, through the eyes of women, will bring tears to your eyes and make you so thankful that you're a woman who knows him. Here's another thing that, we need, that can help us to strain forward toward intimacy with Jesus, and that is to accept suffering with faith. This passage talks about suffering, and suffering is part of our lives if you don't feel like you've suffered yet, someone you love has, and you will. It's just life between the bookends of scripture. Paradise and paradise and everything in between includes suffering. But here's the thing. 
recognize that Jesus, that the Lord, it tells, the Bible tells us, God is near to the brokenhearted. There have been three times in my life that I have felt especially brokenhearted. And so low. And we don't have time to go into it. <laughs> but I was planning on it, but I'm talking too much. We're running out of time. But I'll tell you, I would have said at the beginning, I did say at the beginning of the time that I found out that my whole life and relationship with my dad had been a farce. He was not the man we thought he was. The time when I realized after seven years of infertility that I was not going to be all that baby. And the time two years ago when my daughter ran away at 18 years old and for weeks we didn't know where she was and even the police couldn't find her. I was so low at those times. And I would have said, Lord, I don't want this. I don't want this. Sorry. But eventually I could say, God, you have used this to sanctify me and other people. And you've used it to help me minister to other people. And I can be thankful. Isn't that weird? <laughs> it's not weird. It's God's economy. Everything is flipped upside down than what we think it should be with the Lord. Can we accept suffering with faith? Because it's part of this life that he has called us to. But what does it do? It forces us to lean on him. We lean on him so hard because we can't get through without him. And I wouldn't have been able to get through without his word and his people. Okay, deep breath. Here's another thing that helps us strain toward intimacy with Jesus is obeying when the battle with sin is real. It's quitting habits that prevent us from spiritual disciplines. We gotta create time because it takes time to develop disciplines that help us to know the Lord. We have to make room in our schedule for worship. Matthew tells us where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And worship helps us to treasure Jesus. Last night during this worship time, there was a lot of treasuring going on in this room. There was treasuring of Jesus going on everywhere. Right here in this front row, I thought there's no one out, nowhere else I'd rather be right now than worshiping next to these sisters who are just treasuring Jesus. Well, do you see, oh, my last thing about straining, go deep in the life of a local church. That is God's provision for us for where we are gonna grow and how we are to live is to have the local church be our primary community. And I wish I had more time to talk about that, but we don't. But do you see why this is such good news for us? I don't have to be a Hebrew of Hebrews. I don't have to be a Pharisee. I don't have to be blameless with regard to the law. I can just be Donna, normal Donna in La Mirada, taking care of four kids, a couple dogs, choosing to say no to cute golden retriever videos on Instagram <laughs> because there are millions. But I have to say no and put it aside sometimes. I actually put a, a stretchy hair band around my phone for a few weeks because I was, realized I was picking it up too often. And the band reminded me, oh yeah, put that down again. There's nothing wrong with golden retriever videos, but I didn't, wasn't having time for the things I said I treasured the most. I mean, my dogs think I treasure them the most, but you know what I'm saying. Sometimes the things we choose are not 
bad. It's just we only have 24 hours, and if we say we want to strain toward the thing we treasure the most, then we have to say no to certain things. And again, we don't want to be overly dramatic, but it's like that Jamie Kimmett song. Every day is just another struggle. Every choice is an act of war. And saying no to a thousand things that free us up for other things, that is a war, in a sense. And I want to engage in that battle because I treasure the prize of knowing Christ. And here's why we can keep going. Here's our motivation to press on. In the end, we get the prize in all its fullness when Jesus returns. We'll no longer strive and strain. We'll know him intimately, fully, face to face. We press on toward the goal, the finish line for the prize, and we will receive it together with all God's people. Face to face we will be with the Lord. There will be a day, 1 Corinthians tells us, when we will know fully as we have been fully known. It's hard to even imagine what that's going to look like. But we believe it's true, and it'll be such a joy. And we can know it in part now if we'll treasure the prize, admit we don't own it yet, and just press on to that goal, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for my sisters here some of us need to recognize you that, or recognize that knowing you is a prize at all, Lord. And I praise that you, I pray that you would impress that upon any unsure hearts that are here. And Lord, some of us want to desire the prize above all else, and I pray that you'll help those precious ones to treasure intimacy with you above all else. And Lord, some of us treasure the prize of intimacy with you already, and I pray that you would give those beloved ones endurance in forgetting what lies behind and straining what lies ahead. God, we just want to glorify you with our lives. We want to become more and more like Jesus. Lord, we watch with eager expectation as that all unfolds. In your son's name we pray, amen.